Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, good to be with you and also those that are in the sanctuary. It's good to be with you as well. Uh, I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for partnering with us. I watched that video and I just get really excited about what God's doing through this partnership, uh, through what you're doing here to partner with One Village, Sioux Smotland, Haiti. Uh, the people there are challenged by what you've done. P picking up the trash was huge. Many people in Haiti uh, don't see the trash because they've always lived with it. So part of us changing a culture is redefining what a culture should be. And so for you to go down and serve the people in really one of the most humble forms of picking up trash was huge for the culture. So thank you so much for your partnership. You've been with us at Mission of Hope since 2009. And, uh, and we're just incredibly blessed to have you as partners. This morning I want to talk to you about three things. I want to talk to you about the high dive, a hundred grand, and a sack lunch. First, the high dive. I don't know if any of you have had the experience of going off of a high dive before, but when I was a, a young child, every summer my mom would take me to a swimming pool. It was just a few miles from our home, and I would be there, and I would hang out in the pool, and, and I was a, a lot of people called me big-boned as a child. I don't know that that really meant any, that I was really big-boned, um, but I did like food a lot. And so I would go to the, to, to the pool, and, um, and I was a big guy. And so I spent most of my time either in the pool or on the low dive. But I had mastered a way to get the girls to look at me because, again, they didn't just normally look at me. Um, so what I would do is I would go off the low dive, and I had mastered the cannonball. And I could do a mean cannonball that would throw the water over towards the girls, and they'd look at me, and they weren't really happy with me, but at least they looked at me. But I would always admire those, those guys and girls that could go up to that high dive. And, and they showed off, let's be honest. They'd go up and they'd do their jumps and they would do their, all their tricks off there. And I remember the day that I finally thought, you know what, I am going to do this. I'm going for the high dive. Now, if you've ever done this, you know exactly what it feels like. It looks not so high until you walk up those steps and you're walking up the steps, and it's like every step's going, ooh, higher, higher. And then you get up on the top, and, and you feel like you're on the top of a skyscraper. You're looking around, and the pool was like this, but now it's like this. And you get out to the edge, and everything inside of me when I got up there that first time said, go back. Go back. But, you know, as a kid, that was called the walk of shame. Because if you went back that way, if you were the kid that went down the high dive, that was bad news. So I wasn't going to be that kid. So I remember standing there, wrapping my toes around at the end of that diving board, looking down, thinking, I'm surely going to die, but I'm not going down the walk of shame, and jumping. And I remember the air running through my hair, and it, you could hear the noise of all the other kids, and then it just went silent, because you were under the water. And then they come back up. And I remember the first time I came up, I was like, yes, I did it. And that day, I wore that high dive out. Because once I had conquered it, I knew I wasn't going to die. I knew it was fun, and I just kept doing it over and over again. You know, in life, I believe God brings us, each and every one of us, to places in our lives that are like the high dive, where he walks us out in a walk of faith and asks us to take a jump. He asks us to jump for him in, in total faith, not, not in what we feel, but in just taking a leap for him. I know for my wife and I, that happened to us uh, when we went to Haiti on our first trip in 1997. 
we went there on a missions trip, like many of you have gone, and we walked in, and, and this little baby um, was there. Her name was Gurleene, 18 months old, and she was in, in her mom and dad's living room, sweating profusely. And I'll never forget when we, when we started praying for her and just knew that God wanted us to do something there, and we prayed and we prayed, and she didn't get any better, and we rushed her to a hospital. And as we got to that hospital, the doors were closed, and we heard, and we looked over, and Gurleen was in her father's arms, and she died. We took her back to her house, and they had a funeral for her, but when we got on the plane to go back to Indiana, where we were living at the time, God spoke to us and said, win Haiti for Christ, jumping point. We reached the end of that high dive when we were looking down. And to be quite honest with you, what I felt was I had a little talk with God, and I said, God, I went to university, studied ministry, and I was on a pretty good trajectory of where I thought I wanted to be. I just bought my first car. And for you guys that are a little older, um, the Eddie Bauer, uh, the one that was teal and tan, is the one that I had. And it's the one that I always wanted, 4x4. Four four. It was sweet. And it was sitting in my garage, and I remember uh, flying home going, God, you're asking me to jump. That means Haiti doesn't have golf courses, and I like golf. I'm leaving what I thought was my career, and I've got to sell my Eddie Bauer. But my wife and I, we decided to take the jump. Um, and we're very glad we did. But one thing I know in our lives, every one of us, there's going to be a point when God is going to ask you, if you're following him, he's going to ask you to go, or he's going to ask you to give. He's going to ask you to serve, or he's going to ask you to share. But he's going to bring you to that point where he's going to ask you to jump. And today I want to talk about two men from the Bible. Two men that are very different. One is rich, one is poor. One is a young man, one is a, an adult. But yet, two, thing, two men that we can learn a lot from. One had lots of money, and one just carried a little bag of lunch around. We're going to talk about the young man that had the lunch first. If you take your inserts with me, John 6, 1 through 14, this is what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he knew, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would, it would take more than a, year's, a year of wage, half a year of wages to buy enough bread for each one of these to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them, the, to those seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with pieces of bread, barley loaves, left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come to the world. We've heard this story many times. Many times we've, we've heard about how Jesus fed the multitudes. 
Uh, but today I want to focus on the little boy, the little boy that had his lunch. Jama, if you'd come up here. This is my daughter, Jama. And I just wanted you to see her because she's beautiful. Um, she traveled with me. She is um, nine years old, and she is Haitian. She was born in Haiti. She's Haitian-American. Thank you, baby. You can sit down. Um, and the reason I bring her up is because I picture this young boy about her age. He was, he was getting his lunch ready. And again, as I told you, I was a big bone child. Um, my mom made me lunches when I went to school, and I never shared them. That just didn't happen. I ate them. Um, so this little boy, I can picture him getting ready for, to go out to follow Jesus that day. And his mom puts some barley loaves of bread and fish in his lunch bag, and he's on his way. Now, we know he was poor because he was eating barley. Barley was what, in that time, they fed their, their livestock many times. So we knew he was poor. So this wasn't like he had a lot of food. His mom was giving him what she had so he could eat. So if you can imagine, he's walking along, watching Jesus do all these incredible things. And all of a sudden, as his stomach is starting to rumble because he's had a long day, and he's thinking, man, my mama's good. She packed me some lunch. One of the disciples looks over and says, hey, hey, kid, how about you give me your food? Now, again, had it been me, I would have said, hey, listen, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> this is my sandwich here, and I'm eating it. But this little boy came to a jumping point in his life. It was a point where Jesus asked him, or a disciple asked him, to give him that just the loaves of bread and fish. But can you imagine the stories this young boy had as he decided to take that leap and give up the little that he had when he saw Jesus take these five loaves and two fish and turn into a multitude of feeding and seeing the baskets of food left over. Jesus took such a small thing and he turned that hillside into a seafood buffet where the people were just eating all they wanted to and there was food left over. For years, that young boy, I can see him talking to his grandbaby saying, you'll never believe this, but when I was a kid your age, I had a little lunch and Jesus asked for it. And he took that and he made it worth it thousands of meals, fed thousands of people, and there was more food left over than I started with. He jumped, and God did miraculous things. I want to contrast his story with the rich young ruler who we heard about earlier. I want to call him, for, for story's sake, Rich Young, because Rich Young represented, I believe, a lot of Americans. If you look at Rich, he'd been in church. He'd been in the synagogue. He knew what was right and wrong. When he went to Jesus, he said, hey, Jesus, you know, I, I've, I, I get the feeling that he's done everything. I'm sure if he was today, his wife would probably be driving a Cadillac Escalade, and he'd probably have a Beamer. I mean, he was successful. That's why we say the hundred grand, because we know Rich Young had some money. And he went to Jesus because he didn't, he wasn't feeling right. He wasn't feeling like he had it all. And he said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to follow the commandments. And he starts listing them. And I can see Rich Young there because he's a successful guy. He's going, yep, done that. Yeah, Jesus, got it. Since I was a boy, always honored my mom and dad. I take care of them. Boom. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, man, I got it. And then Jesus takes him to the edge of the high dive. And he says, okay, you've done all that. If you, if you want to follow me, here's what you've got to do. You've got to sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The Bible says he left sad. He wasn't willing to take the jump. 
in, in our story, he walked the walk of shame. <laughs> he walked down the high dive. But there's a, there's a part of this story that, that we never look at. It's the what if. And I believe in all of our lives there's what if moments. What if we had taken the jump? What if Rich Young would have said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll do it. I'll give everything I have away. What would have happened? What could have happened? How many children could have been fed? How many souls could have been saved by him saying, yes, Lord. Here's the, here's the thing that, that is, is so um, dumbfounding about the faith is that I've never seen someone, and maybe you have, but I've never met anyone that said, I gave too much to God. I gave him too much. I gave him too much of my time. You know, I, 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 the offering play went by the other week. I put too much money in. Never heard it. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I can't outgive God. The more I give, the more God blesses me. I've heard a lot of people say, when I give my time, trips that go to Haiti, I come back feeling more blessed than I was a blessing. Because when we take that jump, he's there. I want to talk to you about three things that I've learned from these stories, and I hope, I hope you can learn with me. The first thing is this. It's a question. Are we willing to be used by God? You see, the young boy, he was willing. He said, Lord, here it is. This little I have, take it, use it. Rich Young, he wasn't. We'll never know the end of that story because he wasn't willing. But the question for us today that's central is, are we willing? When we had been to Haiti for three months, I'll never forget this day, I walked into an orphanage, and this orphanage had, you can't even imagine how poor it was, had cement floors, a tin roof, and no walls. And I walked in, and there were 60 kids all over the floors. And I was walking around, and, and again, I was a 28-year-old young man, didn't know what I was doing, and I said, Lord, what do I do? with this, because these kids, they, were, they looked so skinny. And as I walked up to this one little boy that was sitting down in the, in the dirt, he had no pants on and a bloated belly, and he put his arms up to me like this when I got up to him. He was 13 months old. And I remembered Gurleen that had died in her father's arms, so I picked him up, and the whole time, just to be real honest with you, I was praying, Lord, help him to have gone to the bathroom before I pick him up. <laughs> If you've been in Haiti, you've had this experience probably. But I picked him up, and um, he grabbed my neck so tight, and the Lord whispered in my ear, said, this is your son. And I thought, okay, Lord, this is my rationale. I said, Lord, we've only been here three months. We don't have enough money, um, so I don't think so. <laughs> we haven't even started our own journey with our own children yet. So I put him down. I went back to our house, and I told my wife, I said, babe, next, next day you're going to go to this orphanage and you are going to meet uh, a lot of kids. I said, whatever you don't pick up a little boy named Junior. She said, okay. Sure enough, the next day she went there. The first kid to put his hand on her leg was this little boy named Junior. He was burning up with a fever. She took him to the nurses. The nurses said, if you don't do something, he's going to die. We were at the jumping point. It made no sense, but I can't imagine today what life would be like without my 15-year-old son, J.D., He's a phenomenal young man. I am so thankful that in that moment, my wife was first obedient, which led to me being obedient to what God was saying. There's so many times that it comes down to one simple thing. Are we willing to be obedient to what God's called us to do? The second thing is this. This is big. Obedience supersedes logic when it comes to following God. 
When I was a young boy and I stepped up on the edge of that diving board and I looked down, everything that was logical in me said, run the other way. <laughs> that was a small pool. I mean, you see people swimming around. You think about that one kid that went before you that laid it out and did the belly flop. I mean, logic said, go the other way. <laughs> but obedience says, follow me, follow me, follow me. When we started our, our, in the scripture, when we read about the rich young ruler, we see Jesus, and Jesus asks Philip, where can I buy some bread? Philip does not come back with a where answer. He comes back with a how answer. He says, Lord, it would take a half a year's wages to feed all these people. Whew, I've done that a lot. Jesus asked me one thing, and I come back with, the where, or the how. God, I don't know how you could do that. This happened to me when we built our hospital. We went and we, we went to a church, and it was just a vision. We had people dying at our mission. And I said, Lord, we need a hospital. So I went to one church in Oklahoma City. I said, we need a hospital. This family came up afterwards and said, we want to give you half a million dollars for your hospital. I went, oh, okay, Lord, I guess you were serious about the hospital. <laughs> it was the owners of Hobby Lobby. Great, great people. Um, so shop at Hobby Lobby. But um, they, they, gave us, they gave us that money. And then our board was like, okay, so we have the money to build it. How are we going to operate it? So they came to me and they said, we've done studies. And they said, we need to have two years of funding in the bank for operations before we can build. And I said, let me pray about that. So I went and prayed about it and just really sought the Lord. And it was one of these moments where it, God was saying, be obedient. There's a need. There's a need. And so we pressed forward. We built it. Honestly, today, I still don't know where the money's going to come from to fund it. But I do know this. Every year, it's treating thousands of people. This past year, it treated over 22,000 people that needed health care. It was able to have, we started an eye clinic this year. We started a dental clinic last year. We're making prosthetics limp, prosthetic limbs. Um, it's amazing to see what God's doing. We had this past year, we had a voodoo priest come in that had drank two gallons of Clorox trying to kill himself. The clinic was able to, to rescue him, to tell him why we're there, to tell him about Jesus. He gave his life to Christ and he went out and burned everything and now he's following Christ. We had North American doctors that come down too and we had one right after the quake, we had a North American doctor that was not a believer, he was an atheist, and a North American doctor that was a believer, and they were doing surgery side by side because we were just going as fast as we could right after the earthquake. And they had two ladies laying on a bed, just a, sh a sheet between them, but they could see both of them, and they were amputating their legs because their legs were crushed. And we didn't have the anesthetic to, not, or to put them out, so they had to do a local where just, they just felt they didn't feel anything below their waist, so the ladies were awake as this was happening. And so the doctor started the saw, a little saw that they were going to use, and the ladies started singing. We sang it, How Great Thou Art. Both ladies were looking at each other as they knew their legs were being amputated, singing How Great Thou Art. The doctor stopped what they were doing, began to weep, and the one doctor that was an atheist accepted Christ that day. And now, three years later, is serving the Lord, going to church and teaching Bible study, because in that moment, he saw that Jesus was alive in this lady. And he knew there had to be a God. You see, that, that started because we were obedient. We didn't let logic rule us. We said, God, will come to the end, and when you say jump, we'll jump. 
and we know he'll be there. The third thing is this. Don't underestimate the impact of a God moment or a jumping point, big or small. It's easy to do. You see, we could say, well, that kid, he just gave his lunch away. But that simple lunch fed thousands. And today we still talk about it because he gave his lunch away. His simple act of obedience to not underestimate that small jumping point. I say that to say, my mom, when she was, uh, it was 1972, a pastor came to our church. She was a worship pastor at the time. And they asked her to go to Haiti to lead choir. And she went down to Haiti, fell in love with the country. Just a simple little jumping point of going on a missions trip. That led to her taking me when I was five. That led to my mom and dad selling their businesses a few years later and going full-time to serve for the country of Haiti. That led to 1990, or 1989 when they bought a piece of property. In 1998 when my wife and I moved there to today where God, last year we saw God win over 1,000 people to make first-time commitments to follow Christ. We also saw 56,000 children fed a day and another 4,000 or 5,000 with uh, 4,000 that are orphans that are fed every day, so 60,000 total. 22,000 in the hospital, 65 children that are in the orphanage. Um, we have 3,000 kids that are being educated every day in our school systems. We've built 400 homes now for people that lost homes during the quake. And the list goes on and on and on and on of what God's doing. And it happened because one lady on a Sunday morning in 1972 said, God, I'll take the jump and go to Haiti on a week-long trip. I believe all through here, God's asked us to do things, to go, to give, to sh serve, and to share. And he's asking us to take the jump, to not try to make sense of it, to just be obedient and say, Lord, I'll do it. And with that, we're going to see God do great things, things that we never thought he could do. You see, my wife and I, when we moved to Haiti, we had no idea what God was up to. We were just being obedient, and we thought we were jumping then. We never imagined what it would be now. And now we're at a different jumping point. It doesn't stop, and we get to jump again. But God's never not caught us and never not been there to say, I told you it was worth it. So today I challenge you to find your jumping point, whether it be as small as, small as a lunch or as big as the 100 grand, to jump for the kingdom of God because he'll use you in amazing ways. One way that you could help us um, is sponsoring a child. That's a small jumping point, but it's $35 a month. These, all these children that we have profiles for are all from Susmala, the village you're partnering with. So we would love to have you help us with jump and sponsor one of these kids. It'll change their life. This young man is uh, in fifth grade and loves to play soccer. And when he's, his mom and dad, mom's a, a cook, dad's a farmer, and when he's done, he'd like to be a doctor. Uh, so praise God for him. If you want to sponsor him, we'll have his profile out there. But I just want to say, God's got something up because he made a plan for each one of us. And he brings us to these points when he says, do you trust me enough to jump? And when we jump and we don't walk the other way, God will do amazing things with us. So I would challenge you today to take that jump. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for all that you've done here, Father. Lord, we just give you the glory for this partnership. Lord, a partnership that brings a church here, Lord, to a church in, in, in Haiti, to that whole community. Lord, we pray for this community here, God, that you would use the church here to be a lighthouse into the community. That, Lord, 
we would take those points that you've asked us to jump, and we would jump, Lord, and we would serve you, Lord, knowing that, God, you'll take care of everything that we need. And, Lord, we just also pray for the, the country of Haiti that you would continue to work there and that you would use the church here to impact Susmatla and change it for you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that you're always there. And, Lord, we just ask for your blessing. Amen.